This morning, I will be reading from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 13, in the New American Standard Bible. It's available for you for comparison in your pew Bible and behind me in the ESV. Now, there were prophets and teachers at Antioch in the church that was there. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set Barnabas and Saul apart for me for the work which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands, their hands on them, they sent them away. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they had reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphros, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared at him and said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not stop making crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw that what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Poseidon, Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the Law of the Prophets, the synagogue officials went, sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. 
And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do, who, what do you suppose I, that I am? I'm not he, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of Abraham, family, sons of Abraham's family, and those who are those among you who fear God, to us, the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the declaration of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no grounds for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out everything that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the Fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to those of us who are the descendants by raising Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have fathered you. As for the fact that he raised him from the dead, never again to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and faithful mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served God's purpose, you will not, uh, uh, yeah, uh, in his own generation, fell asleep and was buried among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that though, though through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, see that the thing is spoken of in the prophets does not come upon you. Look. Look. 
you scoffers, and be astonished and perish. For I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people repeatedly begged to have these things spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking to them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, nearly all the city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have appointed you as a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to earn eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a prosecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's start in prayer. Father, we come before you today to hear your word, to be conformed to your word, to give you glory. Fill us with your spirit to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And so obviously we are continuing through the book of Acts. We're in chapter 13. And we're going to look at this morning, um, as we're continuing, now we get to uh, we, we had at one point maps of the book of Acts of Paul's first, second, and third missionary journeys, which we'll get into why they're not mission, why that's often a misnomer, uh, especially the third one. But anyways, we used to have maps in the pews. I think most of the kids have drawn pictures on them, so we have very few of them, but we'll get those printed for next week, and it'll be a little more clear where uh, Paul and Barnabas and, and the rest of the apostles are traveling throughout this, throughout the rest of the book. But... We're going to look at today of how communities are creating more communities and how that is God's design for the kingdom of God to spread. And so the overview for the, the Great Commission, the book of Acts, and Jesus building his church, um, as you have in outlines uh, for the bulletin, starts and we're, summar, we're summarizing the whole book of Acts in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, our, our Lord, in uh, the last couple verses of Matthew, gives us the Great Commission that we are to go out into all the earth and, and fill all nations, baptize all nations, and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, converting all of them, entire nations, uh, and teaching them to observe Jesus' commands. 
And Paul here quotes in his preaching Psalm 2 when he says, I will tell you of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Uh, what's not quoted is the next verse. It is, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. And so that's where we're at, making the ends of the earth uh, submissive to our Christ, submissive to the Christ. He's already the Lord, they just haven't submitted to him yet. And so that's where we're at in history. And so as we go through the book of Acts and we see, it's always um, the community, the church is doing something, they're worshiping, fasting, fasting, praying, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they preach the gospel, there's miracles, and they uh, get persecuted, and then they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then there's worshiping, fasting, praying, they're preaching, there's miracles, they get persecuted, and then they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then there's worshiping, praying. This is a, this is a cycle. And then you can see how that causes the gospel to spread. And so what we're looking at, what we often do when we're reading, is we look at these miracles that happen, and we kind of disjoint them with what's going on in the community. And so uh, I made a little bit different outline this week where I actually cite which verses in the chapter we're, we're talking about, which may be more clear and might be more confusing, but I'm still getting used to making outlines. So hopefully this helps. So starting in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And so the community is worshiping, they're fasting, they're praying, they're actively seeking the Lord. And so this is in the church um, at, at Antioch. And so they're, it's not a, a, an act of waiting on the Lord is always seeking him. It's, it's worshiping, it's fasting, it's praying. You can't make the Holy Spirit fall at any given time. Like I'm going to uh, I'm going to worship on Tuesday, and the Holy Spirit's obligated to do something. So on Tuesday at 7 p.m., that's when I'm going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's when you're going to see the magic happen. And I hope some holiness comes with it, too. Uh, it doesn't work like that. The Holy Spirit isn't subject to our whims. We're subject to, to his giving and taking. And so the, the community is a community that's worshiping together. They're defined by worship, by prayer, unity, fasting, these normal Christian disciplines that we think about uh, on ourselves, they're doing this as a community lifestyle. And then that's cultivating a atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is pleased to give more of himself. And so the way the Lord has designed it is we come before him humbly. He gives us, we come in with a broken and contrite heart. He gives us the Holy Spirit, which makes us more humble. And so he's more willing to give us more of the Holy Spirit because we're more humble and more contrite. And so... Uh, it is an active seeking. It's an active looking to glorify the Lord. It's an active waiting. And so if you remember, in Acts, um, going back to chapter 9, verse 15, talking about Paul, when, when Paul's converted, uh, in this instance, the Lord tells Ananias that, that Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry out the name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. And so when it says, and then the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Paul, we don't actually know. It doesn't give us enough information to tell us how he said it. I presume going into the first verse that there were prophets, they were worshiping, so I'm assuming somebody prophesied about it, but it doesn't say. It doesn't say that the skies opened up and there was thunder, but, and then they heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. But normally when that happens in Scripture, it tells us. And so it doesn't say either way, but I would believe that it was by the mouth of one of the prophets that were listed in verse 1. And so Paul already knew what he was called to at his conversion. And so what we're looking at now in chapter 13 
is somewhere between 14 to 18 years after Paul has been converted. And so um, it's, we know it's directly 14 years. And if you look at chapter, Acts chapter 9, verse 26, when Paul's coming um, back to Jerusalem, Galatians 2.1 says that Paul had waited 14 years and then was brought down or went to Jerusalem. And so in Acts in chapter 9, that was 14 years. This is probably about 18, 18 years later. And so what we want to look at in the purpose of community is to make more communities. That's what it would be to be fruitful. That is the, one of the main missions of any given local body of Christ is to make more bodies of Christ. And so it says in, um, I'm sorry, and so that when we look at the purpose of planning more compu- communities, and that's our vision and that's goal, that means everybody's involved. That means everybody's united around that front. And so that doesn't mean because you're not Barnabas or Paul that gets sent out, you're not actively doing things. It says that the whole community was worshiping and fasting, and then the Holy Spirit fell on them, and then they knew that they're going to send off Barnabas and Saul. I'm sorry, Barnabas and, and, and Paul or Saul, which we'll get into. But... Um, and so when we raise up leaders, what a church should be doing when they're raising up leaders is either you have leaders that need to stay and manage and take care of the flock and raise up more leaders to send them, or you're a leader being raised up to be sent off. Those are your only options. Stay or go. There's no in-between. And you're not a leader to be, you're not a leader of the lawn out there, and that's where your purpose is. It's not, there's no in-between. And so when we raise up leaders, we're looking for leaders who have the vision, the calling to either stay or go, whether that's uh, evangelism, planning churches, or whether that's shepherding the flock here. And so if you look at the book of Titus, the first thing Paul's trying to institute on Crete when he says that, like, all right, to, to finish what I've put into place, raise up some elders, raise up some leadership to get some kind of control, and he's sending other people He's sending Titus directly to Crete to do that, right? And so it's, that's the mission of a church. A missionary, uh, Paul's missionary journey is a church planting journey. And so um, for us, that means God will send us off when we become the model church he's called us to be. Just like the book of, uh, I'm sorry, the church in Antioch, that as Jerusalem was getting persecuted, most of the disciples, the leading disciples, landed in Antioch to become the home base for all of the missionary movements, for uh, Peter and Barnabas and Saul and so forth. And so we'll send people out when we've done and been faithful in what God's called us to do here. And he won't send us out. We won't have anybody to send out. We won't be ready to send out until we do that. And so when we become the model church, that can plant more churches, that's when the Holy Spirit will bless us and, and convict us, and that's when we'll send people out. But until then, we should be worshiping, fasting, praying, working on becoming the unified, one model church that we need to be to plant other churches. And so this is just basically how every church is called to operate in some form or fashion. And this is how the kingdom of God fills the whole earth. It's not by... Uh, it's not by mainly political or, or geographical means from the top down. It's from the bottom up, uh, small churches planning more churches, sending out more people, more missionaries. And so the community send-off is so important. We cannot miss that. 
and oftentimes we see in our, in our modern era is that God called me to be a missionary to here, so I'm going to go and do it. And there's, it's totally divorced from any community. It's totally divorced from planting communities. And it's divorced from being sent off by a community. Um, which they still, I'm not discounting that they still do good things. They're still in the, maybe even in the will of God. He's sovereign. He dictates whatever he wants. Uh, and they're just by faith doing what they probably know. But we can't miss that Paul's not some lone ranger out there getting a call from Jesus. And I'm going to go do it whenever I want. He did it when he got sent off. And you can kind of read through the rest of the epistles to kind of formulate what Paul's heart in this would be in, in planting churches. And so Paul's missionary work wasn't apart from the church. And so if we're going to be a community that plants more communities, we have to uh, have that as a biblical vision. We all should be praying towards that, fasting towards that, um, looking to see what God is doing here so that we can prepare for what he wants us to do in the future. And so, uh, just as a side note, as we have more membership meetings and get that official in the membership meetings, one of the uh, things that we'd like to discuss is what we're doing with that in, in India or sending people out anywhere else and, and whatever. And so, what Barnabas and Saul when they get sent out, you have to understand that they were already doing what they were sent out to do. That's what they were doing. All right? The Holy Spirit called them to ministry, uh, and leaders of the church recognized, the leaders of the church recognized, and the community recognized what the Holy Spirit was doing. And so, so let's look at Acts 9, 26. Let's go back a few chapters. Um, 26 through 30. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, that's Paul, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe uh, that he was a disciple. That's a, that's a fair assessment. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on the road that he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. He was already preaching. He was already evangelizing. And he spoke and disputed among the Hellenists. He was already arguing with people. But they were seeking to kill him. He was already getting persecuted. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So he's already been commissioned by the church to go to a different city, to go do different, uh, different work. Verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace among them and was being built up. So Paul had already been commissioned to go back up to Tarsus to work in the church there. He had already been preaching. And if you look at uh, the last verse in chapter 12, verse 25, and Barnabas and Saul had returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, that being in, in Tarsus, and they brought John Mark with them. And so they were already under service from the church and under commission from the church to be part of a church plant, to be a shepherd, to be a teacher, to be an evangelist. And so he was already, at his conversion, knew, Paul already knew what he was called to do, and he started walking that out immediately in, in Damascus. And then he was commissioned by the church to do that. And so leadership flows to those who take responsibility. Paul didn't have this idea and wait patiently and sit in the pews and just say, 
oh man, I can't wait for everyone just to know what my calling is and I'll just sit here and not do anything until that happens. He was actively looking for ways to fulfill the calling he was called to and then waited on the Holy Spirit to raise him up and the church to recognize it. So leadership flows to those who take responsibility. And so we, we call that that leadership is first descriptive before prescriptive, meaning that he was already doing the work and they're like, hey, Paul, why don't you go ahead and like go plant other churches because you seem to be pretty good at it and you're doing it. Not, we need a church planner. Uh, who can we train to do that? Right? It's first descriptive before prescriptive. It's first that they are doing the work and then they're called to do the work. That's super important. And so that's why we encourage young men or young men and women in Christ to take initiative. If you want to start a Bible study, just go and start a Bible study. If you want to start a prayer group, just go and start one. If you want to uh, have worship at your house, just, just do it. Just go and do it. Take initiative. What the Lord has called you to do, start walking in now. And so because Paul was already sent off by the church of Jerusalem to Tarsus, um, that's when Barnabas brought him to Antioch to help that, that church plant. And so when Christ says whoever is faithful in little will be faithful in much, that's what we're talking about when taking initiative where leadership is always first descriptive before prescriptive. That the leadership is always, it flows to those who take responsibility, right? When you're faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in, in the bigger things. And so leadership is also always service-related. If you, um, somewhere in Paul's epistles, he talks about the care he has for the church. And so I don't think he was arguing with the Hellenist in, in Jerusalem because he just really liked to cause controversy. And he was like, hey, let's see if we can wrestle some feathers uh, and let's just show them how stupid they are. <laughs> they missed the Christ. I don't think that was his motivation. I think it was because he, he had not just the commission from Christ, but he had the heart to see other people converted, to see Christ glorified, to come to the truth. It was in, in Paul's mind, it seemed to be always about the well-being of others. And so leadership is always service-related. And so usually what happens, we see this as a, uh, as a model in the book of Acts, is one thing you can look at is one of the reasons why we use the book of Acts as a model for, for church planning, community life, for New Testament community is because 1 Corinthians 10s tells us that all of the Old Testament Israel was there so that we'd learn to not be like them. And they're like, so uh, don't read the book of Judges and, and feel like you need to go chop up a prostitute in 12 pieces and send them out to people. <laughs> That's not what you're supposed to get when you read the book of Judges. Uh, and so if you, if you read that and you felt that, then you're very wrong. <laughs> don't, don't imitate, uh, especially the book of Judges. But, and so Paul tells us that all of the Old Testament Israel was mainly a, a book and historical account so that we would learn to not be like them. And so it's exactly the opposite in the New Testament with the book of Acts being the only historic narrative that we have of the church that except for where it deliberately says that this person sinned or they were, you know, don't be like bar Jesus and try to stop the gospel, uh, that we are supposed to be like them. We're supposed to take that as a model in the new covenant of how church plants are, how, how community life is, how they raise up leadership, how the community interacts, how they're one, and so on. And so usually God raises up a, a 
small team or a head or, or a visionary to plant more communities uh, and, and, or gives up one or two and then gives them a team. Uh, you see that Barnabas was the first one that, that brought on, on Paul, and then they bring John Mark with them. And then we can assume through other writings that uh, as he's around, they're actually gaining more members of their team, um, especially the second time around. And, but there's usually a head or a visionary that plants more communities. That kind of leads the way. And so Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Or another good translation says, or gets discouraged. So if we lose the vision of Grace Christian Fellowship to be a community that plants more communities, we will soon get discouraged. Because what are we doing here? What are we doing? We're just coming to uh, spruce up this building, to, to found an outlet to serve, to find, and we just got to do it because the Lord's called us to do it, and then we uh, go home for the week. No, if we lose that vision, if we lose what we're doing and what God's called us to do, there's no question about it. We will all get discouraged and cast off restraint. Um, and so we should be continually, if you guys have family worship and have that instituted or regular times of prayer, be praying for things like Rock Campus Fellowship, for there's now two women's Bible studies that go on through the week, um, for other things, that those would be evangelistic, that would be, we'd be the community that becomes who God wants us to be and gets to where we get in a position where God wants to bless us to where we can grow into another community and pray that people would be raised up to, to be those church planters to raise up other communities. And so, because if we lose that, we're, it's just stagnant. There's no growth. There's no vision. Uh, you just go home and clean your belly buttons or something. And so the handle, uh, to move on to 13.9, just so everyone's clear, Paul wasn't, his name wasn't changed, uh, Saul's name wasn't changed to Paul at his conversion. Sometimes we hear that because there's so many other times that names were changed, like Abram to Abraham at their conversion. Saul was simply his Hebrew name, and Paul was his Greek or, or Roman name. And, and Luke gives us an opportunity to kind of transition from calling him Saul to calling him Paul because he was traveling around the Roman colonies, and he would have used Paul a lot more frequently and, and Saul more in, in Jerusalem and in, in the church probably. And so... And so Something that's a little confusing, I'm not sure exactly why they go to Cyprus first. Um, I asked around, I tried to, I asked the internet, I asked some other pastors and people I know, and I couldn't get a clear answer. Well, I don't know why he goes, if, we had the, if you had the map, or if you have a map, uh, Cyprus is an island that's, that's easily sailed to, uh, but it's isolated. The only thing I can gather from it in that time period was that it was a little bit more peaceful than the rest of the Roman colonies. And that might be why, but I don't know. But also, uh, they, well, they sailed back to Cyprus on the way back, so it might have been less expensive. I don't know. But if you look at verses 4 through 12, when Barnabas and Paul are specifically mentioned to going to the two most important cities in Cyprus. So Salamis, the port city, would be more like L.A. or New York that had more influence in the culture. And then Paphos was more like Washington, D.C., which was the heart of their political or their polis. And so they, they are targeting big cities. They're not targeting outlying villages of scattered people, uh, scattered pagans over there. They're hitting big, major cities. 
This is, as we'll look at this further throughout Acts, but that is a major idea in Paul of where he decides to go. It's hitting major cities. And so when he gets to Paphos, Bar-Jesus knew that if the proconsul was converted, there would be rapid change in society. That's why he opposes them. And so when we look at most of kingdom growth, it's, it's grassroots, it's organic, it's from the bottom up, individuals with very, uh, very limited power or influence in, in a city or in a state getting converted, and it's very, very slow growth. But occasionally, very occasionally, uh, people like presidents or kings actually get converted or people with power actually get converted. And I would believe that one of the reasons why Bar-Jesus, the magician, was so opposed to it was because he knew if Sergius Paulus got converted to Christianity, that would mean that he's now obligated to have rules uh, in society. The, the laws would reflect a Christian nature. And so uh, when it comes to, uh, as Teresa was saying earlier, when it comes to voting and and trying to change things from the top down, that's mostly not how the kingdom works. That's not usually how it works. But when God gives us an, an opportunity uh, to institute Christians in places where they make laws, uh, we want Christians in society who are making laws to make Christian laws. It's, the question is not whose law are you going to follow. No, not, not is it, the, the question is whose law are you going to follow. Is it God's law or is it man's law? And so that's why Bar-Jesus was so opposed to the proconsul. Because when someone in, in an officiating position that can make laws, there is going to be instant, rapid change in that society. Um, just as kind of a side story, I was talking uh, with my wife about this a few weeks ago. I like listening to NPR. Don't judge me. Uh, <laughs> but I just like to hear the other side sometimes. And there was a... Um, a little segment about a woman, probably in New York, uh, I don't really know where it was, about how, oh no, I'm sorry, it was in Texas, how there was a law made that if a woman gets an abortion, the uh, doctor could be, anybody can kind of turn them in, and it's like a $10,000 fine, but there's really nothing against that for the women, but she felt like now that as she's dating, she needs to find a guy who treats her like she's worth at least $10,000, and right, so she wasn't doing that before. Um, but with these new laws enacted, there's, uh, as her word said, there was a price on her head. It was actually on the, the doctor's head. But what she's a little bit closer to a biblical idea of what you should do when you're looking for a man. She's a little bit closer to having a little bit more self worth. What she should say is a mediocre. Uh, salary, about $50,000 a year, is what a man should bring home to provide for me and any family. And if we're going to be together for, I don't know, at least 30 years, that's $2 million. So she needs to be actually, she's a little bit closer, but she needs to treat herself like she's worth $2 million when she's dating. And so laws can actually convert uh, societies or get them closer to a biblical standard. And so uh, one other thing to note about Cyprus is I'm not sure why Paul and Barnabas went there first. But uh, there were three Cyprian bishops that were present at the first council of Nicaea. And so the church there stayed and grew for 
uh, a few centuries, and, and they sent a few bishops to the First Council of Nicaea. And so a couple other clerical things, because it gets very confusing when they sail from Antioch and they land in Antioch. There's two Antiochs. And so when they, when they leave um, Paphos, they sail up to Pisidia or Perga and land in Antioch. That's the Antioch in the region of Pisidia, and, but the Antioch in Syria is the home base for the church. And so um, kind, of, kind of lastly, as we look at Paul's preaching in the synagogue there at Antioch and Pisidia, it should become reminiscent that Paul's preaching is very closely mirrored to, and maybe even just a shorter version, of when Stephen was stoned and Paul was holding the coats. It's very similar. It's the same style of preaching. It's the same recounting of Israel and the same pointing towards Christ. And so Paul kind of ends his preaching by showing that all of the promises are wrapped up in Jesus. All of the patriarchs, all of of David's promises were wrapped up in in Jesus, who they had killed. And so the promises to Abraham and the patriarchs, as many as the stars in heaven, uh, that will be the number of your descendants. And to David, that uh, uh, the Lord will subdue his enemies and raise up one who will be over God's kingdom forever. And so it's a little bit hard to think in our own time period and in our own experience, but we are really in the infancy of the church. The church has just gotten started. And so if you were to just look in 500-year segments until, you know, the first, until Christianity got legalized in 325 in Rome, and, and then shortly after that, uh, handled a lot of big heresies like is Jesus God or not and made those officials. That took, you know, three to four hundred years. And then another five to six hundred years after that with the first church split in the east of the west, which was as we recited in the Nicene Creed, is that we believe that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back and divided east and west and, and who was the Pope and whatnot. But uh, nobody argues about whether... Uh, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son or just the Father anymore. That's been handled. And it took about another 500 years for the church to settle on that and everyone uh, to come to a union. Another 500 years after that, we've got the Reformation. And we see another church split, another huge uh, instance in history. But now our Catholic brothers and sisters are more Reformed today, 500 years after the Reformation, they mainly hold to the tenets of the Reformation in, in a lot of areas. And so it, it's been about 500 years since the Reformation, and now it's kind of settled down, and, and we're about ready for another big movement. It's been 500 years. We're getting ready. Uh, so look for it. Um, but but we're, the church has just began. It is really, this is just the beginning. And so the uh, as we look forward um, to what the Lord is doing, it's, it's, we're just getting started. We're still reforming. We're still planning churches. Uh, a quick Google search last night said that, at least nominally, 33% of the world uh, uh, is Christian. And so we've got at least 70, roughly 70% to go, if that's any, that's any metric. And so it's, it's hard for us to think in, in like, man, it's been 2,000 years. Well, that's really not long. Uh, when 
when the covenant and or even in um, I'm sorry the covenant with Moses that uh, uh, those who um, obey his commandments he'd bless to a thousand generations well if a generation even if we went by normal standards of about 20 years we're only about like 160 generations away from Jesus and so if you wanted to take it literally into a thousand generations we've got we're at like 160 and we've got to get to a thousand and so that's the way we ought to think is long term what are we doing in our community today that's preparing for the community we are the communities we plant to survive for centuries and so uh, after all, after all of uh, Paul's preaching at the synagogue, it says, "And the whole world, I'm sorry, and the world, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region." And so, um, as we go, as we as we become a community, one of the first things we should expect is opposition. Uh, the Jewish leaders were jealous of people following others. There's, that's very clear in this text. They weren't concerned with the truth, and so. When, when Paul's preaching in the synagogues, the first thing that they raise up is slander. Slander against uh, Paul, Barnabas, against what they're preaching, preaching. And so communities, we should be readily prepared for slander, for accusation, for persecution. That's what we should expect. Remember, it's the model. Worship, pray, seek the Lord, get filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, send out more communities, preach the gospel, get persecuted, worship, pray, be filled with the joy of the Lord, be counted worthy, be filled with the Holy Spirit, preach the gospel, go out, make more communities, and do it again. And everywhere they go, they get persecuted. And so that should fill us with more joy than anything else. And so that's what we're called to as, as Grace Christian Fellowship is thinking long-term, what are we building here that'll last for several centuries? What are we doing? How are we operating as a community that's filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching the Gospels, sending others out that are going to build more communities that are going to last through the centuries. And so, um, as we come to the table, uh, we remember that all of the promises are yes and amen in Jesus. We find that in 1 Corinthians 19 through 22. And so, uh, all of their blessings find their fulfillment and their fruitfulness in Jesus Christ. That's why we come to his table Every week, this is a this is a banquet feast. We don't come to mourn. We don't come to be like, oh, we were. I was really. Well, sometimes we feel like we're really tired this week, and we're. We we do come here to find rest, but it's not a banquet feast of mourning of sadness. We come to the banquet feast that Jesus Christ has already conquered the whole earth. He's already, and we're just here to take his marching orders and and do it. And so. Um, as our Lord broke down the dividing wall of hostility between us and the Father, he did it through the shedding of his blood. He did it through the breaking of his body. And so Jesus came to conquer, but how did he conquer? He conquered through death, through laying down his life, right? He did it through faith in the Father. And so as we sung um, this morning, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Well, the answer is nobody. Amen. Nobody is going to stop him. No one's going to stop the kingdom from growing. And that's what we come to as we come as we celebrate. And so we who were once his enemies have now become his agents of grace and ministers of reconciliation. 
And so as we come to the table to dine with Christ, we come to receive grace and to take that grace to take dominion. We take that grace to lay down our own life and to go out and do the work of the Lord. And so we start with grace and we go do works of grace. So let's come and, and dine with Christ.